0: For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, friends, <laughs> focusing what's important. What do you do when you get the news that you're going to die? What do you do? Um, there was a movie with Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman called The Bucket List. And uh, it, it's all around that theme. And one of my favorite transformations throughout the movie is when Jack Nicholson's character, who one of his things on his bucket list, which he's really doing for his friend Morgan Freeman, and I guess himself too, is to kiss the most beautiful girl in the world. Right? And what he means is somebody who would be on the cover of Vogue magazine. But as he gets closer to the danger of death and things become def- come into focus for him, what he eventually means by that is his granddaughter. He finds her to be the most beautiful girl in the world, and he gets to kiss her before the movie's over. Uh, or in a similar way, my grandmother had a sister who uh, died before her, and she was a nurse most of her life. And during that time, she saw basically how it goes at the end of life. And so when her heart was failing, she refused to stay in the hospital. She wanted to be home with her three daughters. And and she laid there in the living room on the couch. And her three daughters surrounded her and talked with her. And she gave her daughters comfort and encouragement and encouraged them to let her go. But her, her last moment, what was most important to her, was to try to bolster the courage of her daughters who would have to live without her. But it brings into focus what's most important. And so we have Jesus here in the shadow of death. John tells us he knew what was coming. He knew that it was at the end. And what we have is in the shadow of death, he models for us what is most important. He models a love towards us that we must imitate for one another and others so we're going to look briefly just briefly at his love and authority to model this for us and his model his actual model itself for serving in the shadows of death when things count everything counts Um, his love and authority model in verse one john tells us that he loved his disciples until the very end until the very end, and John's, John's, one of John's purposes for writing his gospel was to bring forth the deity of the incarnate God in Jesus, the absolute deity, and so he marvels as he sorts, of, as he unfolds this drama before you. What, what's going on here? And one of the things that he does is he loves his disciples to the end. Brian Chapel is a preacher in. Um, in our broader circles and a, and a seminary professor and a good theologian and a good preacher and a, and a good author and he tells the story of uh, something that happened, it was a tragedy in a small town and there were two brothers, was an older brother and a younger brother and they were playing together on one of these mounds that isn't quite sand and isn't quite dirt, it's somewhere in between and they're piled up for a different work that goes on but sometimes, you know, they're out in the, in the weather and sometimes there's rain on them and there are parts that get hardened and you can step on them. And There are other parts that get, seem to be hardened, but there's actually a fissure underneath and it can sink down into it. Well, the bo- it was a very large pile and the boys were playing on it and they both fell into this fissure. And the elder brother grabbed onto the younger brother's leg and pushed him up to keep him up there until help could come. And when they came, the elder brother had died. But he had died holding his younger brother up. And that's exactly what Jesus does here, John tells us, that he loves his disciples until the very end. He holds them up to the very, very end. Also, he tells us that not only does he love us, but he's our teacher and he's our Lord. Remember, we're talking about his love and we're talking about his authority to model the things that he models for us. He's our teacher. He says, you call me teacher and Lord. That's right. That's exactly right. I'm both. And the problem is is we try to segment out one or the other. right? We try to say, oh, Jesus was a good teacher. If you just go to Jesus on that ground, you're going to be crushed because it's like being a beginning piano student, not knowing the first thing about even the white keys and the black keys, how to play notes, what your fingers should be doing. And you sit down with a teacher, and the first lesson he gives you is Chopin. His lessons are way beyond what we're capable of. And yet he calls himself teacher. We'll get to that in a minute. But he is our teacher. He has the authority to teach. And he is the only one who has the ultimate authority to teach. So he claims that for himself. But he's also the Lord. He has the authority to command. He says, live like this and you'll be blessed. Who in your life has the authority to command you? I mean, your boss can tell you what to do, but... That's more guidance within the parameters of your framework. Who can actually command you? Even when you don't want to be commanded. Who has that authority? I was thinking about it. I mean, like, husbands try to take this with wives often. Wives sometimes try to take this with husbands often. Uh, Parents try to do it with their children often. But all of those are meager attempts because we don't submit to one another in those kinds of authority situations. I was walking my dog uh, this morning... Over in Fairmount Park, and he's getting older. And uh, one of the things that older dogs do is they get rebellious in the sense that they'll stop coming when they're called. They'll uh, stand in your way when you're trying to get past. It's just like they're saying, you know, I've lived a long time. These are my rights. I get to extend my rights right now. You're going to move around me for once, you know. And so, um, and I called, you know, my dog's hearing. He's getting older. He's 13. his, His hearing is going. And so I said, "Come," and he. He actually heard me, but he was just doing this sort of, you know, I've got rights thing. And um, I learned a trick uh, a while ago when we were first raising our our earlier dogs. Dogs use a powerful sense of smell. And there's this dog trainer in New York called Paul Loeb. And one of the ways to get your dogs to to really listen to you is to interact with their sense of smell. So I remember this, and I grabbed my leash, and I tossed it towards him. And it didn't hit him, but it came right down near him. And he smelled it and he came right over to me. It's Paul Loeb's trick. You should try it sometime. It's a great way to begin the relationship of your dog listening to you. But I reinforce the authority. I think, that, I think that truly, even in that relationship, it's hard to, for my dog Sam to receive a command. If it's hard for us to receive a command, what does it mean for, for Jesus to be our Lord? He has the authority to command. He has the authority to command. He's the Lord of heaven and earth, and that's what he's meaning here. He tells you that, look, if you want to know, this is the end, if you want to know the secret, you want to know what you should be doing, I'm modeling it for you. I'm commanding you to live like this. If you live like this, you'll be blessed. That's how John ends this passage. So, he's teacher and Lord, and he models for us. He says, if I'm your Lord, in a sense he's saying, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, if I'm your Lord and your teacher, you learn from me to do what I do. If I'm your Lord and your teacher, you learn from me to do what I do. I serve you. And so you ought to serve one another. And now he's performing in this foot-washing ritual that we see. He's performing something symbolic. A symbolic prefigurement of his cleansing sacrifice at Calvary. He knows what's coming. And he's modeling it for them. Jesus readies us for God's presence through serving us. And in the same way, he calls us, as his messengers, students who would teach what the teacher himself has taught about himself. He calls us to serve as a means of preparing the way for God's presence in other people's lives. Students proclaim what their teacher proclaims. I was watching um I watched a little clip from a movie, Heat, and it's a very famous clip for actors. The actor friends of mine really hold it. It's a diner scene. It's Pacino. It's De Niro. They're sitting across. Pacino is trained in uh, one type of acting, which is method acting, and he really just becomes the character. You can see it on him, and he just embodies it, and he lives it and breathes it. And uh, De Niro is what's called a, he was trained in Meisner technique, and he's reactive in the way he's reacting to whatever the other actors giving him. He's completely engaged and reactive based on that. And so you see at the table the differences between these two acting styles in this diner scene in the movie Heat. And they're fantastic. They're both fantastic each at what they do. And the actor friends of mine look at them and they say, whoa, would you watch them? And it's true. I mean, Pacino just inhabits his character. He's there at the table. He's he's that character. In the same way, De Niro is so completely tuned in and reactive off of every nuance that Pacino gives him in the scene. It's pretty powerful. When we go forward as students of our teacher and our Lord, we model his service to us on the cross with as much excellence as Pacino De Niro. That's what he's calling us to. We are to serve as a means of preparing the way for God's presence, just as he served to prepare a way for God's presence for us. Okay, so what's his model? The second part is what's his model? What's it look like? What is his model for serving? In verse 12, he says, I modeled how to serve you so that you can do the same thing in the same way, right? Again, I'm paraphrasing. The first thing he does is he doesn't cling to his true rights, he has rights. He's the Lord. He has rights. He's the teacher. But he doesn't grab onto them, right? His identity is secure, and that's one of the things John points out in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that he's the, the Father had given all things into his hand, he has authority, right? Jesus knew this. Jesus came from God. He was going back to God. It's incarnational language. It's Trinitarian mystery right there in front of John, right there in front of us on the page. And yet, Jesus doesn't cling to them. And what he says, the second thing he does is not only does he not cling to his rights, but he makes himself absolutely vulnerable in order to serve you. In spite of knowing who he was and what his rights were. He didn't choose his identity as a right to be clung to. He chose to serve through his identity. Service is an aspect of God's character that he's embodying for us in this moment. One commentator wrote, The authoritative nature of this approach, the way he's teaching his disciples here in his last moments, is unmistakable. But the command becomes all the more striking when it is remembered that humility was despised in the ancient world as a sign of weakness. Jesus' command was therefore revolutionary in the sphere of human relationships. He's saying, You go out into the world and you show humility even though it'll be mistaken for weakness. You know, in our context, uh, we have neighbors in North Philly, and and sometimes you walk down the street. One of the the mistakes that you can make is to show kindness too fast. Why? Because kindness is mistaken for weakness and can put you in danger, and people can misunderstand it, right? It takes time to show kindness. And he's saying here, be vulnerable be vulnerable in the same way that I'm making myself absolutely vulnerable for you. My wife uh, and I, when we lived in Nashville for a short time. We had a friend who lived nearby and he was fairly young, just out of college and in his first sort of set of jobs. And there was one night where he got desperately sick. He could barely move. He was throwing up all over his room, his bed, his floor, his roommates were gone for the weekend, but he, he just couldn't stay in there. So he called my wife, who was home, and said, I don't know who else to call. I'm, I'm beside myself sick. Can you come help me? And so she got a bucket and got some rubber gloves and you know, got her dirty clothes on and, and went over, and she worked for hours to clean him up. She made herself vulnerable to his own sickness, to his own mess to the disgust of it all, it's pretty gross to do that. If you serve someone who's that ill, you know that it's gross. In the same way, Jesus makes himself vulnerable here. It was unthinkable. It was unthinkable to do what he was doing. You didn't do it, you had a slave do it in those days, but you didn't do it for colleagues, and the teacher certainly didn't do it. There's one, um, in one commentary, I read, uh, Jesus overturns even positions of social status. Rabbi Judah HaNasi, about 220, was said to be so humble that he would do anything for others. Except what? Except relinquish his superior position. Seating according to rank was crucial. And Jesus goes even beyond that. You notice how John uses the language. He He resumed his position. So he knew where he was sitting. He knew what the, what the protocols were in his, in his context. And yet he came down from there and he served sh- he with humility. One of the things he did was he just rose from the supper. Who rises? When you cook a dinner and your, your uh, dining room table and people are sitting around it and you're the host and you're cooking, where do you sit? Where do you sit? Nearest to the kitchen, right? so that you can get to the food as you need to get to it, and you can make sure that people's wine is replenished and and their vegetables are replenished, right? Here you've got the one who should be served, serving. The one who should be hosted and glorified, hosting himself to benefit others. So he rises, it's like he's checking on the progress to attend to the guest's. It says uh, in, in one of the commentaries I read it says, "The couches would be arranged around tables containing the food with the upper part of each person's body facing the food and their feet away from the table, and Jesus would go out, out to the outside of this circle to watch wash each person's feet. Verse four: He undressed. <laughs> when do you know that you're vulnerable to somebody? You're naked. How how much more vulnerable does it get? He took off his clothes, he put on a towel over his loincloth and he washed their feet. And he washed their feet. It's like changing into work clothes before doing a dirty job. Only his work clothes are himself. And the tool of the towel that he uses to, to serve them. The last thing that I would point out is that Jesus served in this circumstance whether or not they deserved it and what's interesting is not one of the persons that he's serving around his table deserved it why well you have judas he knows that he's going to betray him he knows that he's going to uh, turn him over he senses that evil he evil he puts it, he points it out in the passage But Peter, there's an interesting exchange with Peter. And Peter, well, you know, okay, Lord, take my head and my my whole body. You know, like, if if I can't be clean unless you wash me, then wash every part of me, right? It sounds like a mighty profession of faith. And yet that same one is going to deny him in just a few hours. And the other feet around the table that he's washing, that he's making clean, that he's serving, every one of them is going to run away in just a little while. And yet he served them, whether they deserved it or not. Friends, the reason we'll come to the table later in the service is because we have a God who serves us. A God who undresses for us, becomes that vulnerable, that intimate. He lays his life down. He cares for you. He wants to come into the nitty-gritty of you, and he wants to serve you. And as a result, he wants to change you. He won't leave you as you are. He's come to make you like him. And part of being like Jesus is to serve with abandon. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the fact that you gave us your son. Thank you for the immensity of the love that you show, that you would come to us, that you would stand in for us, that you would take our place, and that you would model for us. Lord, thank you for your love and your authority to model. Thank you for the fact that you actually give us things to do in your modeling for us how to love as we've been loved. Let us go forward as we worship you now, remembering the great cost that it took
0: to bring us together. It's in your name we pray.